Why telling more and better stories is key to motivating employees, our preferred superpowers, and the HR phrase that makes my skin crawl. That's what's on tap in this episode of Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and brisket master, Joe Malt. Welcome to the show, Boss Heroes, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Whether you are working out, listening over lunch, driving in your car, taking a walk, or starting your day with us, we are humbled and honored you've chosen to be here. If you want to be sure to get updates, sneak previews, and insider news from me about our show, be sure to subscribe to my Boss Better emails by visiting bossbetternow.com. We are, of course, joined today by my co-host, physician and executive coach, Alyssa Mullet. Hi, Alyssa. Howdy. I, I felt like a howdy was necessary since the whole brisket thing. Yes. I, I, I am intrigued by your self-appointed master status as I think I make a pretty darn tootin' awesome brisket. So Ooh. let me hear why you think you're the master. Well, if we ever have a future alive event, we may have to have a brisket off. Where <laughs> there's the taste testing and scoring by our boss heroes. Blind taste Ooh. testing and scoring uh, to see who is the brisket queen. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, queen. No, yes. no, the brisket master is, is kind of neat. Uh, uh, Years ago, um, when my wife and I moved into a new home, my neighbor on the one side was a champion barbecueist, barbecuer, barbecueist. Not sure the proper term. Okay, so it's one of those things. Champion griller. <laughs> he was more. A, he was a smoker, not in the like Marlboro way, but he had this huge rig. In his driveway, one of these gigantic, like like twenty feet long smokers, and he okay. he was from he grew up in Nebraska and Oklahoma. He lived in Texas for a while, so he he was really into this whole um, championship barbecue circuit. And what's cool about that is most weekends he would be out there making something, and in the spring and summer when you've got the windows open, my lord. The smells that came through on the wind. So as we got to know him a little bit and uh, I I talked to him a little bit about what he was doing, I learned a little bit about how you smoke championship barbecue. And so long story short, I ended up getting a little indirect heat smoker myself, the little smoke box that goes on side of the grill and experimented with a couple of things. And it just turned out that I had a knack for brisket. And so Hmm. my second or third brisket, I shared it with him to tell me to get him to tell me what he thought. Uh, And he was knocked out. He he said that this was was a competition level brisket. I had the purple smoke ring. Right. Uh, I I will put my brisket up against anything that anybody makes. That's why I'm a brisket master. Okay, Uh, I I hear you. I don't taste you but i feel you uh, <laughs> i we got a sous vide and for those of you who are not familiar with what a sous vide is it's the 
water bath, the Mm -hmm. consistent temperatured water bath of said yummy, delicious, goodness food. And so for a brisket, we do it in the sous vide for a minimum of 36 hours. Mm. And so there are some trade-offs. You're not going to have that smoke ring mm-hmm. like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. We do finish it in the oven, um, low and slow as well, just mm-hmm. for like two hours in there. Um, so it gets a nice crisp crunch yeah. on the outside as well. So it's got everything, the crisp crunch outside and then just so tender. It melts on your tongue. You don't, you don't even need to close your mouth around it. You just lay the meat on your tongue and it dissolves itself. That's how soft my brisket yes. is. Yes, that's how it's done right. However, I believe your ability to lay claim to the throne is almost <laughs> immediately disqualified when your technique for cooking an American barbecue brisket is a French term. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just as soon as you said what was it sous vide sous vide Gazunai. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna stand on my deck with an American flag draped over my shoulders and a beer <laughs> in my hand. I don't even drink beer, and I'm gonna make my barbecue Texas style brisket, and you can okay. take your French method. And I, I don't know how to finish that phrase. <laughs> something. And then go do something with it. Yes. That's right. And now a, 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 a bald eagle just soared over top of the building here just for effect. <laughs> oh, it's getting deep in here, folks. Real deep. Well, we are going to start today not with a brisket competition, but with a story. You know how there are days when you think to yourself, I have had just about enough of this job. And you start thinking about a plan B. But you're so done with being tired and stressed and unappreciated at work that you decide your plan B should be the easiest, most mindless gig you can think of. For as long as I can remember, I've always said that my fallback job My plan B, the job I'd go and get when I've got nothing left to give, is ticket taker at the movie theater. I mean, come on, that's a pretty sweet gig, right? First, I would be in the air conditioning all summer long. Second, I figure you probably get to see movies and eat popcorn a lot, and that's pretty great. And third, I mean, talk about job security— Nothing's going to kill that industry. I mean, what could (laughs) possibly happen that would, you know, close down all the movie theaters? But the main reason that job appeals to me is because as I see it, it requires no thought at all. Rip on your left. Rip on your left. Rip. Uh, On your left. So that's my plan. When I am done with thinking, and I just want to coast 
with the minimum amount of thought and effort possible. I'm going to tear tickets at the movie theater. In fact, the only thing that can mess up my plan is if I get a boss who insists on maximum effort and who is committed to telling me stories about why my work matters. Because those two things together won't let me coast. Those two things together will actually make me try. You see, we know that people perform at work when they believe that their work makes a difference in the lives of others. When bosses tell stories that tie the tasks and duties of someone's job to a powerful purpose that stirs the soul, people don't coast. They don't just go through the motions. In fact, I would argue that storytelling can be used to tie any job anywhere to a powerful purpose, even the ticket taker at the movie theater. Would you like to know how? If I were running a movie theater and I hired you to be my ticket taker, I would tell you little stories again and again that point to the one big story about why your work matters so very much. Shortly after you started working for me, I'd call you into my office and I would ask you this question. Hey, who do you know that has been married for a really long time? Now, you might cite your parents or your grandparents or maybe some neighbors. And whenever you tell me who you're thinking of, I'm going to give you an interesting piece of homework. Hey, can you do me a favor? Would you call them up and ask them about their first date and then come back and tell me as much as you can about it? Now, when you go and ask this long married couple about their first date, you're probably going to get a really sweet story filled with detailed memories of where they went and what they wore and all the feelings. And when you come back to me and pass along what you heard, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. Isn't it remarkable that they can remember so many details about a night that happened so long ago? I mean, most of us can't remember what we had for lunch yesterday. Most days that pass are destined to be forgotten, but there are a few in our lives that stand out. There are a few moments that get burned in. And guess what? Every single person walking past you while you tear tickets might be in the middle of a night they'll remember for the rest of their lives. And we get to be a part of that. Isn't that something? Now, shortly after this conversation, I'm giving you another assignment. Can you do me a favor? Go find someone in your life with children under the age of 10 and ask them two questions. First, when was the last time they went to a movie without the kids? And second, what kind of arrangements did they have to make to get away for a few hours? Would you then come back and tell me what they said? Now, anybody who's listening and who has kids already knows what's coming back, right? My kids are 10, 8, and 4. A kid-free night at the movies, at least before the pandemic, that's like winning the lottery. Wait, hold on. We have a sitter? This is happening? Yes! 
Our joy at getting away for a bit is so overpowering that we don't care at all about spending $39 for two small sodas and six crusty milk duds. I mean, with three kids, I'm out $50 for a sitter before even leaving the driveway, but I don't care. A real-life grown-up movie with swearing and guns and no-talking animals? Take my money. And when you, my dear ticket taker, come back and tell me that story, I'm going to say, you know, I think it's worth remembering that every person walking past you might be someone who had to arrange quite a lot just to walk into our building tonight. My job as your boss is to get you to see that your job is much more sophisticated than standing still and tearing tickets. My job is to use little stories like these to help you believe the big story, that what we do here at my movie theater is help our customers escape stress, make memories, and have fun. That's our powerful purpose. And I'm going to repeatedly try to stir your soul with little stories that prove that thesis over and over again. I'm going to point out when I see a father taking their child to their first Star Wars movie, and then I'll ask you about the first movie you remember seeing as a kid. I'm going to direct your attention to the obvious excitement of those folks who line up early in costume for the latest summer blockbuster. And I'll ask you about the movies you were most excited to see over the course of your life. I'll point out how affected and emotional our guests are after walking out of the latest Oscar-nominated tearjerker. And then I'll ask you about the most recent movie you saw that made you really feel something. Along the way, I'm going to answer any question you ask at work, not by citing policy or regulations or organizational directives, but by telling you the story of how the policy or regulation or directive impacts real people. I will find a way to connect my answer to your question to our larger cause of helping our customers escape stress, make memories, and have fun. And I'm going to do this, use these little stories to tell the big story of our purpose, because it is the only way I'm going to get you to try when you're tired, or get you to come to work when you'd rather not, or get you to, at a minimum, just bring a higher quality energy to the interactions you have with those around you. And right now, when so many are exhausted, when so many have been going at 10,000 RPMs for so long and with no end in sight, this is what they need from you, their boss, to get through the day. They need you to connect the dots. They need you to point out all the ways their work makes a difference in the lives of others. So point it out. Tell every story you can think of big and small. That is how you become an inspirational boss and motivate employees. It's not because you tell a good story. It's because the story you tell is about how they truly make a difference. Now, from time to time on the podcast, I've made the decision to share things that I use from the stage. And what I just shared with you is a a bit, a segment that I've used in keynotes and sometimes in workshops to talk about how important it is that bosses develop the skill of storytelling. And so let me bring Alyssa back in 
And thank you, Alyssa, for letting me do all of that and take that much time with it. What did you hear and why is storytelling such an important skill for bosses? Folks, I I don't if you just if you're not on YouTube and you didn't just see me like sit back up in my chair because I got moved by the master at work. <laughs> no, true. I mean, this is why you are so dang good at what you do. Joe is a master storyteller. And I know you were as moved by that as I was, as impacted as I was. And that can also be intimidating because we're not you, Joe, right? Mm -hmm. But you just said it at the end, tell the stories, both big and small, because that is the connection that we all crave, that we all truly deeply desire to connect us to that higher purpose, to, to connect us to that higher cause. That's our commitment. That's where that grows. That's where I know that you care about me as an employee when you take the time to tell me that story. Storytelling is a magnificently powerful tool that bosses can use. You might not think that you have the stories to tell. Listen again to Joe's story. You have stories to tell too. Stories that can connect you and connect your team to that higher sense of purpose, that higher cause, and create that connection that everyone so badly needs. Wonderfully said, my friend. And thank you for the kind words. Uh, I am humbled by your praise. Truly, thank you for that. Um, and here's the good news. Nobody needs to be a master storyteller to connect the dots between even the most mundane tasks and duties of someone's job and the difference they make in the lives of others. The only thing you have to do is be intentional about pointing out those stories because those stories are there. They live in the day-to-day -day experiences of the people who report to you. Ask somebody, what, tell me about something that happened this month at work that you're really proud of. Tell me about something you did that you really believe was helpful to somebody else. And when they tell you that story, I want you to blow it up bigger. And what I mean by that is, if a member of your team stayed late to help a customer that couldn't get through the door by closing time, and they tell you that, take a moment to go a little bit bigger and ask, boy, how do you think that person felt knowing that they didn't have to go another day with the same problem? Imagine what their sleep was like that night. Imagine the relief they must have felt when they found out you were going to squeeze them in. We can talk about the difference that people make in the lives of others as being, I squeezed in a late appointment at the end of the day, but that's not it. That was the action. The impact was the emotional relief that you created for another person. That's the story. You just have to shine a light on it. You don't need to know what the stories are. You just need to blow them up a little bit from time to time 
so that people can see the emotional payoff of their actions. All hail. <laughs> I'd clap if it wouldn't be assaulting to the earballs right now. <laughs> well, we're going to keep hallelujah. talking about this. Um, and let me shout out a, a great book, a great resource for you to check out with regard to storytelling. Um, Kendra Hall is a fellow professional speaker. She's written a fantastic book called Stories That Stick. Uh, and she is an expert in storytelling. And she has spent the past few years talking about the power of storytelling and why storytelling is such an important skill for us, whatever our jobs are, whatever our roles are, uh, to develop. And so we will link to that book in the show notes for this episode over at bossbetternowpodcast.com if you want to check that out. Uh, and we would love to know what you think. Leave a comment under this episode on our podcast webpage, bossbetternowpodcast.com, or head over to the Boss Better Now Facebook page where you can leave comments, ask questions, suggest ideas for the show, and more. And so now we arrive at our camaraderie question of the week. Bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. That's why every week we give you a question that you can use at meetings, in huddles, when you gather people together, to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. And so this week's camaraderie question of the week is about superpowers. Alyssa, if you could grant yourself one superpower, what would it be and why? you. <laughs> Okay. Well, it so happens that this like coincides with we're letting our son watch some superhero movies for the first time. Um, so this is like top of the mind. There are so many choices. Um, but what comes to my mind, I don't know, maybe I'm ever the dork. I don't know. But like, I think, okay, well, like, I could think of some kind of physical strength thing or mm -hmm. some kind of something. But uh, I, I could train myself to be, like, a warrior goddess. It's, <laughs> it's possible. I'm not saying I'm, you know, there yet. <laughs> yet. Um, but I, You mean in terms I of strength and stamina and physique yeah, yes, and, yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um. I could try to think about some kind of mental aptitude that I like, you know, stopping time or something like that. Mm. That might be kind of cool, but I feel like I might turn evil if I did something like that. Like right. I, I could be swayed to the dark side pretty easily with, <laughs> with power like that. So I know myself <laughs> enough to not, not trust myself with that, which leads me to my answer. Mm, you've put some thought into this. I have. Um, in the like circular logic that is my brain, but I would like an unwavering, unrelenting trust of self as my superpower. Faith in trust your own everything. Yes. Trust in my own actions, thoughts, words spirit, the whole shebang. I want unrelenting, unwavering trust in myself. No inner voice that goes, uh, I don't know. Are you sure? No, I know it. I, I'm just a hundred percent always 
trusting of myself. How interesting that when it came to physical strength and stamina, you identified that as something you could build up, but you did not give voice to that same belief with regard to this superpower, not a physical strength and stamina, but the strength and stamina in your, in your soul of your person. Joe, I'm supposed to be the coach. (laughs) (laughs) What's that about? You know, well, I think probably because it is something that I continually have to work on. And it is something that does not come easily Mm -hmm. to me. Um, The only thing easy about it is the erosion of it very Mm. quickly. Um, So... But you're absolutely right. The parallels are, you know, I can still work hard. I am working hard every day to maintain that level of trust within myself, to grow it, um, to fuel it. Um, And so it is obtainable as well. Maybe that's my superpower is Ah. being able to then. Believing that it's possible. Yes, that that hope and that possibility of self. Yes. Well, I, I know you've talked about this a little bit on some previous episodes about your inner critic, about um, the ways in which you are hard on yourself with mm-hmm. that inner voice. Um, I know that that resonates with so many folks who listen to our podcast. I know that it takes an incredible amount of courage to sit in a box on a YouTube recording and uh, be vulnerable and be willing to let that vulnerability be shared with the entire world uh, as this podcast continues to gain an audience. Uh, And I just want to express both my gratitude and my admiration to you for your willingness to uh, lay yourself bare in that way in the service of others who are listening to our podcast. Thank you. Well, okay. So now super coach, what is your superpower other than just being an amazing storyteller and coacher of me? So this, this something that happened to me before is happening to me again, which is where when you lay my desired superpower up against another person's, I am small and selfish. (laughs) Because after giving it some thought, I've decided that the superpower I want is Jedi mind control. (laughs) <laughs> so if you're familiar with it from Star Wars, right, when, oh, when yeah. Obi-Wan says, uh, these are not the droids you're looking for, the yes. Stormtrooper says, these are not the droids we're looking for. Move on on your way. Move on your way. Um, this, to me, would be a phenomenal superpower to have for entirely selfish reasons. And let me fully acknowledge it is terribly unethical to mind control <laughs> other people. But let's think about all the benefits, right? First of all, um, you call for a doctor's appointment. They answer the phone and you say... You can see me at my earliest convenience. We can see you at your earliest convenience. You go to a restaurant and you say, how long's the wait? And when they open their mouth to answer, you say, we can see you right away. And they go, we can see you right away. You say, when somebody calls you up, we're considering you as our keynote speaker for this massive conference, Joe. And I say, you want me as your keynote speaker at full fee with expenses paid. And they say, we want you, Joe Mull, as our keynote speaker at your full fee with expenses paid. Jedi mind control is where it's at, Alyssa. That. (laughs) would be my chosen superpower. 
You've you two have given this just a wee, <laughs> wee bit of thought. Wee bit. You know what's really funny though? I asked this question of my team a few months ago. We were doing, uh, we had just hired uh, Jamie, our director of outreach and business development, uh, a few months back. And so we were doing a virtual um, full team meeting. And so I brought this question to them as a fun way just to get folks chatting a little bit. <laughs> and it was my turn, and I answered in the way that I just did. I talked about Jedi mind control and how you could get a, you know, a table at the restaurant and a doctor's appointment, whatever you want, and get booked at full fee. And then I turned to Jamie, who was next to me, and I said, what, would, what about you? What would you say? And she said, healing. Jamie, <laughs> I, I would cure soul. cancer and sick kids. <laughs> and I went... Yeah, that's pretty good. That's 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 yeah. That's that's, that's better. Than you mine. suck, Joe. Oh, period. Just... Exclamation point. <laughs> so of course, when you show up with, I want to banish my inner critic and be, you know, a, a, more trusting in myself, and I'm like, yeah, but I can get a doctor's appointment whenever I want. I mean, that's pretty selfish <laughs> by comparison. <laughs> but you know, it's all this is this is the yin and the yang. This is why it works. This is. This is why this works. Yeah. I feel compelled to shout out uh, my friend Denise Jacobs, who is a fellow speaker and author, and she does a lot of work around banishing your inner critic. And she has written Ooh. about this. Um, she has done some incredible speaking all around the world. Uh, recently, she was able to sub for Brene Brown overseas when Brene Brown had to cancel last minute. Um, she is the real deal, y'all, and has a lot to say about the ways in which we can be kinder and stronger to our own inner voices. And so um, check her out online. Check out some of her writing. I will link to her stuff in our show notes over on bossbetternowpodcast.com. And that is our camaraderie question of the week. For our final segment today, I have something that I want to implore leaders everywhere to stop saying. And I think this could end up being a recurring segment, just a, a, a recurring segment that we call Stop It. I want to implore leaders all over the world to please stop using the phrase human capital. I loathe this phrase. Every time I hear it, I have a deep revulsion to it, like biting into a rotten apple. I have spent years trying to get leaders and organizations to stop treating people like a commodity, to treat people as, you know, actual people. And this phrase, human capital, is just soulless. Mm. Are you familiar with this phrase, Alyssa? Have you heard it before? Oh, oh yes. I was part of human capital department. So, <laughs> yes, I... I I get it. Yes. Um, what you just said, and then tying it back to uh, your colleague, Denise Jacobs, I believe you said, mm -hmm. who subbed for Brene. Brene just did this great episode on dehumanization. 
and the consequences of dehumanization mm-hmm. and how we yes. use it with our words and all of these things. And the moment you said mm-hmm. human capital, that's what came up to me. I'm like, yes. oh, this is a form of dehumanization. Yes. It it's like just this herd of less than less than a people. They're yes. just human. Yes. Right. And maybe not even that, because capital is like an asset. It's like transient. Yes. It's, you know, could be bought, sold, blah, 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 blah. Trans, you know, tr- it's a transaction. Yes. And that is not what people are. Well, first of all, we will link to that episode of Brene Brown's podcast in our show notes over at Boss Better Podcast, bossbetternowpodcast.com. Can we get that right? Bossbetternowpodcast.com. So that if you want to check out that full episode, you can. Um, but you're exactly right. It becomes easier to emotionally disconnect when we turn people into this amorphous kind of idea. When we when when we are faced with budget reductions and job cuts and wholesale changes, it becomes much more comfortable to run toward them if we remove humanity from the occasion. Um, I am all for doing away with any and all labels that take us from micro to macro, right? Uh, you know what term we should use instead of human capital? How about Jim? Betty? How about first names? Right. Let let's let's address people as as people. The 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 term bestows a status, just like you says, of of like living tools, right? Of assets, not in the meaning of being essential, but as belongings, as goods, as mm-hmm. a commodity. And I actually, in, in knowing that I was going to talk about this, I decided to look it up to figure out where that term came from. And because it's evolved in a way that just stinks. Mm. And, and actually, the term human capital was first used by economists in the 60s to discuss the skills and qualities that constitute a worker's economic value. So they were recognizing that the economy is driven by knowledge and service industries, and there's a need for personality and education and expertise, and those are at a premium at the time. And so they were encouraging organizations to make an investment in human capital. For those listening, Mm -hmm. I made air quotes around investment in human capital. And over time, I think a lot of organizations embraced the term as a way to say, we are putting our people at the center of everything we do. We care about talent. We care about um, effort. We care about expertise. And everybody is special. But man, this has just evolved in such a way that that is not how it is experienced, right? Um, we end up using language that creates this amorphous pool of us versus them. There's leadership, and then there's the human capital, and it's all the other folks. Uh, and when people are described that way, I think it sends a signal to them that everyone's replaceable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't know that I have anything more of value that I could say than you have more strongly worded it. I, I, I understand its genesis. I thank you for that information. 
I think knowing that and knowing that those words do not support how we need to show up in the workplace as leaders. We need to be mindful. Words matter. Mm -hmm. And people are essential for you to lead them. So people, people first, language, always. And as far as human capital, the term is concerned, stop it. All right, friends, we would be ever so grateful if you would take a moment right now to review our podcast. Just open your podcast player, go to our list of show episodes, and look for a link to to write a review. Then if you want to be one of the really cool kids that we like best, hop on over to LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever you like to hang out on social media and say something nice about our show. You could type, hey, friends, if you're someone's boss, you should be listening to the Boss Better Now podcast, the greatest audio experience of all humankind. Every listener wins money and gets a free kitten. I mean, that's just an example of something you could say. We don't want you to, you know, exaggerate just to drive traffic to our little show here. But posting on social media is hugely helpful as you become an integral part of helping us grow our audience. And we thank you for that. Lastly, for today, a heartfelt congratulations to you. Whether you realize it or not, you are already doing more than most by showing up here by giving time and caring about being better. Whatever else happens today, you did this. You made it here today with us, you refilled your cup, and maybe you got a little better. That's a win. That's something you did not just for yourself, but for those in your charge. So if your phone is close by, do me a favor, pick it up and look at your reflection in the glass. Be proud of that person today. They cared enough to push play and boss better. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit joemall.com today. Hello, boss heroes. Are you planning a conference, meeting, or event? Why not invite our own Joe Mall to be your keynote speaker? Joe speaks and writes about commitment in the workplace in a way that is funny, powerful, and captivating. He knows that your attendees want rich content that is relevant to them and delivered in a way that is fun, compelling, and useful. Joe's keynote programs help leaders say and do new things so they can get better results. If you're planning a remote event, Joe can beam in from a fully equipped virtual broadcast studio. With multiple cameras, professional audio and lighting, and tons of interactive ways to engage participants, he will leave your audience raving about their experience. Oh, and Joe is a certified speaking professional. That's the highest earned designation in professional speaking. That is held by less than 20% of speakers worldwide. The CSP is only awarded to speakers with a proven track record of experience, expertise, education, outstanding client service, and ethical behavior. Whether your event is in-person or virtual, your audience doesn't want another boring 60-minute lecture. 
They deserve to learn and be inspired by a world-class program from a professional speaker they simply cannot turn away from. That's what you get, guaranteed, from Joe Mall. For more information, visit joemall.com speaking. To check date availability or to get a quote, email jamie at joemall.com. That's J-A-M-I-E at joemall.com.